Welcome to Unexpected Points. This is a solo edition where I'm going to talk about what press conferences mean for coaches and what we can take for them, specifically focusing on the Kevin O'Connell press conference last week and what I liked about it. And I'm also going to dig into a data analysis I did on Aaron Rodgers, his conservatism, based on a little bit of a story out there from Bob McGinn and whether or not Aaron Rodgers goes into too much of a shell when things really matter. All that this edition of Unexpected Points. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me. Uh, I got into some of the nerdier adjacent stuff with my guest last week, Marcel Louis Jacques, about McDaniel, Mike McDaniel. I'm going to get back into some Mike McDaniel discourse, but only to contrast him with Kevin O'Connell. And I feel like this format, the solo format, is probably a little bit better for me to get into some of those issues, although Marcel was excellent as a sounding board for me and then also going into a long tour discussion. If you didn't have a chance to check that out last week, make sure you do. He does an excellent job for ESPN covering the Dolphins. But this week on this show, seeing the introductory press conference for new Vikings head coach Kevin O'Connell brought this back into my mind, this idea that some dispute, which is coaches do signal through what they're telling us in press conferences. They're not exactly an open book. They're not giving us the ins and outs of their scheme. They're not fully divulging anything that may fall into the rubric of competitive advantage. But I do think for the most part, when they're talking to us, we should listen to what they're saying for hints as to how they view the game on a broader basis, whether or not they have an understanding of some of these larger macro topics that I like to focus on, that nerds like to focus on, because obviously they understand the micro stuff much, much better than we do. They understand how these offensive schemes and systems work, how the individual position coaches understand specific techniques and things like that. But what they may not be as good at coming through the ranks, focusing on the micro, focusing on the minutia, focusing on the little benefits which lead to a better player performance and better unit performances, what they may not be as focused on is the larger picture. And that's when things like run versus pass, but that's when things like using timeouts and other sort of situational awareness, that's when things like fourth down decisions that's when those larger things come into play, where narratives, existing opinions, what's been passed down over the years, and of course, mistaking the results for causal, the causal calculation going backwards sometimes, looking at results and then looking back for the cause in a very simple way. A, a big one would be the fact that coaches have mentioned you know, the rule of 53 or something like that, where you say, the pass completions plus rushing attempts, if we can get to a certain X number, we will win. And that is a motivation for running the ball more. Where, of course, you're, 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 you have the causal relationship backwards in those circumstances. So very, very smart coaches in what they do can still be fooled by some of these things. And I'm not going to dismiss everything they say in a press conference because 
they're doing some sort of information warfare. I don't think coaches say things that are incorrect or get these causal relationships wrong or say things that show a misunderstanding of these micro topics as a ruse, as a gimmick, as some way to throw people off their scent because these are new head coaches. No one is digesting everything they say and is going to go copy what they do just based upon that. They have to prove themselves. Maybe for someone like Bill Belichick, there's a possibility that he does need to be a little bit more, you know, hold his cards t closer to his chest than some other coaches because of the fact that people will imitate what he's doing, largely based upon the, the success. But when it comes to a new head coach, and again, I'm going to contrast some stuff we heard from Kevin O'Connell versus some stuff we heard from Mike McDaniel. When it comes to these new coaches, I don't think they have any reason to portray themselves as believing anything other than what they believe, even if they don't get into these things in great detail. So that's the first thing I'm going to discuss today. And then I have some Aaron Rodgers analysis on the backhand that I've been doing. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, he's a very, very good quarterback in these games where he's down. And I'm trying to look at conservatism in that lens, how much you playing from behind, which has been a critique of Rodgers. But there are some clear, clear examples of why he is being conservative more so than he should at the end of these games. And I'll go into the details, compare him to Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady as two guys who are probably a little bit better calibrated with their risk taking near the end of the games. But before I get into all that, make sure everyone here knows you can get 25% off any PFF subscription. Use code, code unexpected. That's right. Get all the locked article content, including I'm going to be putting out a lot of articles, a ton of articles on the draft and free agency. I think I'm going to write up this Aaron Rodgers analysis and so on. We have our draft guide that's already out. We're going to have a free agency tracker that I put out, which is I call the improvement index, which looks at the gains that teams are likely to have in their wins above replacement based upon some projections we do as the free agency tracker comes in. The Patriots were right at the top last year for what they ended up doing. So we're going to have all that coming this offseason. Great time to get it now. 25% off. Support the pod. Use the promo code. Get as much as you can there. And I also want to say Western and Southern, the Unexpected Points Podcast, sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you move, while you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. All right. We are going to start here with this McConnell vis-a-vis McDaniel discussion, not on what I talked about with McDaniel last week, which is analytics. McConnell was asked about analytics. He had a sufficient answer there. Uh, we didn't hear 90% of the answer about the negatives of analytics as we did here with McDaniel. But I want to focus on two questions they both received about the running game and how they view it. And first, I'm going to start with with O'Connell. Now, I'm former quarterback here, so maybe that helps a little bit in his perspective. But when he was posed a question, a question that said, specifically in the in the question, it asked about the inefficiency of running versus passing, but is there an emotional side to it? Is there like a momentum side to it? Is there building upon it? Or is there something that the advanced numbers are missing in there with your ability and need to run the ball? And this is what uh, Kevin O'Connell said for his answer. 
It's about balance, and I think it's about understanding uh, clearly uh, how you want to go win a football game each and every Sunday. You don't play against every opponent the same way. Um, you've got your core foundational aspects of your, of your offensive system. Uh, the run game and how you run the football is certainly a huge part of that, and you want to be able to, as you said, impose your will. You want to be able to run the football because uh, there's going to be times you have to. The, the way defenses want to defend your pass game, uh, they're, we use the term they're daring us to run it. we got to be able to do it. we got to be able to move people up front. Uh, we got a really, really good running back here that we got to put him in positions to, to, to use his skill set and have a lot of success, and I feel really, really good about a plan uh, to do that. But running the football and the marriage with uh, the right kind of pass game is what makes an offensive system uh, what it is. We've talked about that term, illusion of complexity. Uh, you got to be able to do both. you got to have balance because if defenses have to defend both things uh, and they don't know it's either or until long after they would like, uh, we got an advantage right there to go do a lot of things on that particular snap that'll help us go score points on that drive. Now, this it seems like a pretty standard type of answer, but the reason I'm going to give a lot of credit on this is, number one, he talked about the imposition of will, whatever we want to say about that. That was specifically mentioned in the question that he got, so he said the imposition of will back to the, the questioner, so he didn't bring that up unprompted, but again, I don't think it's a big deal if you if you have that. One, he's talking about balance, and I think balance sometimes can get a good name, sometimes it can get a bad name. I remember there's a very famous quote from Mike Leach where he says, you know, balance isn't 50% run, 50% pass, it's using all of your different options on the field. So if you're passing, if you have five different receivers versus one different running back, is being able to utilize all those. So he didn't specifically say we want to be 50-50. He mentioned that in a couple different ways, which I think was really, really important and key and Everything that no nerd would disagree with here is that, you know, sometimes he mentioned specifically that they could almost be daring you to run the ball. So it's being responsive to what the defense is doing. And again, we as nerds, we are not saying never run the ball. We're not saying that you shouldn't run the ball because of some inherent problem with it beyond the fact that it's in most cases inefficient. If you have, you know, Lamar Jackson, we are very much for running the ball. If you have a situation where the look that you're being presented, the down and distance, uh, that it makes it a favorable situation for adding efficiency, adding true efficiency, adding expected points as we would calculate it, we are for doing it in those circumstances. So he is mentioning that it's important but not just important as some sort of mythical qualities that it brings. It's important because sometimes you're going to get looks where you need to be able to do it. And sometimes it is going to be the more beneficial thing to do. And no one disagrees with that. Again, even when we're looking at broad averages of running versus passing, everything is situation sp specific. And in those specific situations, for instance, third in say between two and five, teams should actually be running the ball much more than they do because of how defenses are so prepared for the pass in those circumstances and teams can set up multiple runs to convert on fourth down in those situations. It's never as easy as you 100% should or shouldn't do something. And I think that answer encapsulated this. And it also mentioned marriage of the two. And I think the hint at the end was where the defense doesn't know what you're going to do, and it's too late before they know. Now, is it too late before they know you're going to run the ball? Probably not in his system, unless we're talking about a draw play or something like that, which you know they'll use, I'm sure, but maybe not the most. What he's really talking about there, and what he's hinting at, of course, is the play-action pass, 
where it's too late before they understand that you're actually going to be throwing the ball. And of course, there's no better way to get on the side of nerds here than to talk about the play action pass and the value there. And then again, the value that you get from running can then most quickly translate into the passing game because of the illusion, because of the deception, because of the fact that you have a credible threat to run the ball. But that's what you need, a credible threat. You don't need to run it all the time. A credible threat to run the ball to then transition to play action. So for me, this answer from O'Connell is almost a 10 out of 10 for how he hits everything here. And again, people might think it might, might not, not think it's important, but there's no tropes here. There's no mythical qualities. Now, on the other side of the equation, and again, I'm going to go to my my man, uh, Mike McDaniel here. Who? Mike McDaniel here. And he had an answer as part of an interview where it was a much more narrow question. It didn't go into what do analytics say about it versus you know, others and what's the emotional aspect of it. He really just had like, how important is it for, for the running game? And I think being that we're talking about the Dolphins here who did not run the ball very well, uh, it makes a little bit more sense that that would be part of what he's talking about. They weren't able to run the ball well or very often. So here was McDaniel's answer on running the ball. And I'll go over how I'm thinking about and contrasting it to what we heard from O'Connell. I think it's extremely important uh, in terms of you can, you can really play to the strength of your team when you have a good defensive team. I think it's important to dictate the terms. Like when you're running the ball, you're taking more time off the clock. When you're taking more time off the clock, you know who doesn't have the ball? The other team. It's hard to score when you don't have the ball. So all of these things are will always be important in football. I do think there's a competitive advantage um, as of late where, you know, people the, – they're – this league is cyclical. It goes in trends, and there's a lot of people that are pretty excited about throwing the ball, um, and I, I think that does give an advantage to people that try and know how to run the ball, um, but it still means you have to be good at passing the ball as well to be a complete team, but um, in football, because you have to have the ball to score unless you turn it over, um, there will always be a competitive advantage if you can run the ball. I think it's extremely important. Extremely uh, important. Yep, playing again uh, here. Okay, so let's let, let's let's dissect this one. Much different answer there. No real. Well, anyway, let me let me get into the to the two big issues with this with this answer. And again, this is why I'm a little bit concerned about McDaniel generally if he doesn't understand some of these macro concepts. Again, it's not not been his job to understand these. Plenty of coaches don't understand these. This is not signaling them out in some sort of way. It's just we have few new coaches who come in to discuss these larger macro issues that often. The first thing was this causal issue, conflation of time of possession and what that means. So he basically uses this taking time off the clock and you're keeping the ball away from the other team. A couple different problems with this. The first one is keeping the ball away from the opposing offense. Now there can be an advantage in a larger frame of things to limiting possessions in total for a game. If you are the underdog in a game, if you are the worst team, 
you would say that in this game, it's better for you. You have a higher chance of winning if you have, let's say, a very tiny amount of possessions, tinier than you normally have in a game. If you have five possessions and your opponent has five possessions, it's more likely the way things shake out that you're going to win a higher percentage of time in that circumstance because of the randomness of the game, because of luck, because of the fact there might be a couple turnovers on the other, on the other side, than if theoretically, now of course this couldn't happen, but let's say theoretically in one game, each team had 100 possessions on each side. That team who is the better team is going to win much, much more often in the 100 possession versus 100 possession game than the five versus five game. So by taking up more time on your possessions, you you do lower the total number of possessions in the game. So there is that to it, but I don't think he's talking about that. I don't think he's thinking, oh, we're a bad team, so we're going to try to lower the possessions there. And even if you do that, the lack of efficiency from running the ball more than mitigates any benefit that the poor team gets from trying to limit the number of, of, of possessions through time, through a larger time of possession on there. So he's not talking about that, and you know, there's no reason to talk about that. He's talking about more from this keep the ball away from your opponent thing. But the thing is, in football, it's not a game of time of possession. There should always be a focus on we're trying to maximize win probability. And yes, there is a correlation between time of possession and win probability. There's a fairly strong correlation between those two. But the reason that there's a correlation isn't because you're keeping the ball away from your opponent because the way football works is you get one possession then your opponent gets one possession there is no way to change the dynamics of that now turnovers change the dynamics of that and maybe you could say turnovers are slightly higher probability on a passing play versus a running play but again that is not what he's talking about here all you're doing is giving your opponent fewer possessions by taking a larger time time of possession on yours, but you're also giving yourself fewer future possessions. That one-to-one -one dynamic is not changing. Whoever scores the most points per possession is going to win the game, you know, setting aside special teams and, and errors that may happen there. That's who's going to win the game, not who has the most time of possession. So I think that's a, a, an issue there. And again, when we talk about having the causal relationship backwards, what happens is successful drives lead to time of possession more than running the ball leads to time of possession. Now, a successful drive where you're running the ball a lot will have a higher time of possession than a successful drive when you're not running the ball a lot. But if you look at the correlation between time of possession and run percentage or how often a team is running in a game, for, through the first three quarters, so when the game is still in dispute, I'm not talking about running out the clock late in the game, through the first three quarters, there is no correlation at all between running the ball and time of possession. That is because teams that run the ball more often are less likely to extend their possessions, to have successful possessions, to have successful series, which then turn into successful possessions. There is a strong correlation between a team that has a high rate of success, a serious success rate, in other words, turning a first down into another first down into another first down, no matter how many times they run the ball, doesn't matter how often you're running the ball, if you are able to convert first downs and hold on to the ball that way, that is highly correlated with time of possession in those first three quarters we're talking about in that same time span. Running the ball does nothing for you in there. 
Now, the circumstances when you're able to convert th third downs mostly via passing and running the first two downs, that is the way to have the longest drive possible, but it's not necessarily the way to have the most successful drive possible, and it's not necessarily the best way to go about an offense. Again, it's looking back and saying, I'm trying to replicate this outcome, this outcome that we had, this successful drive, running the ball a lot. But the thing is, by running the ball a lot early, you're actually lowering your chance of having a successful drive in most cases, depending on the defensive front, depending on the down to distance, all that sort of stuff in most cases. So again, we have the, the, the causal relationship backwards, and we also have this you know, causation correlation backwardsness of what McDaniel is saying there. So that, that's the first big point. Time of possession, that was a huge red flag, not really understanding that or talking about that. The second thing is, this thought that there is a com potential competitive advantage running the ball because of the cyclical nature of the NFL and it becoming more and more in a pass-heavy league. It's the, we're going to zig when other people are zagging or zag when other people are zigging, whatever, however you want to frame it. And this is something that we see come up roughly, I would say, every two years, maybe every three years. And if you look at a chart over time of pass percentage, especially on early downs, pass percentage by season, you'll see a, you see it just go up and up and up and up. And what happens is every couple of years, there's a little bit of a downtick. We have a little bit of a down year passing. We got a little bit of a down year passing just here in 2021 versus the prior year in efficiency and in pass percentage, there was a huge downtick in 2017 when Peyton Manning was out of the league, Tony Romo was out of the league, um, Carson Wentz got injured during the middle of the season. He was one of the best players that year. That tells you how good of a year it was. Aaron Rodgers was injured and was out for most of the season. We had this lull of quarterbacks who were not bad quarterback drafts for a number of years leading into that, where it all confluence there and it happened to happen about the same time as the Colin Kaepernick Neil protest where people started to say oh the NFL is going down the tubes because of the Neil protest but what we actually actually what was happening was the play was just gone down the, the play was really going down at that that period in time and that's the last time we heard this oh the cyclical nature is over now the defenses are so light to protect the pass teams like your smash mouth exotic smash mouth football for the tennessee titans are the way to go again a few years before that we heard it we heard it a few years before that but there has not been an end now there will be a point where there's a plateau at least of passing percentage but we haven't hit it yet but there is absolutely no evidence of a cyclical nature to the passing game or a time to lean into the run being more efficient than the past because so many teams are passing. It hasn't happened recently. I don't think we've reached that point yet, despite the fact that the passing percentage has been going up and up and up there. So there's no, anyone who thinks this is there, there's a cyclical competitive advantage here doesn't really understand what's going on with the data there. And again, that's a kind of a red flag for McDaniel and something I would be concerned about. And if you want to just play it off to say, well, you know, he's he's kind of speaking off the cuff, he's doing whatever else, I think that's fine too. But it would be really behoove him in these circumstances to think a little bit more deeply about these things in a way of a data-informed sort of way to get an idea of what's going on rather than more of a feel-based slash results-based way of looking at things and the way they happen in San Francisco where... They happen to have Jimmy Garoppolo there, and for all of Jimmy Garoppolo's 
errors of his ways, he had the second highest third down conversion percentage to Patrick Mahomes. He knew how to convert third downs, which was critically important for a team that runs the ball a lot on first and second down to maintain drives and to get those long drives. Sure, there are some circumstances that are in the front of everyone's mind, like the 49ers in the playoffs back in 2019, where they were able to run it for six, seven yards, eight yards a carry, and it didn't really matter what Jimmy Garoppolo did. But for most of the time, it mattered whether or not he was converting those third downs and extending drives there. And you're not necessarily going to have that with the Dolphins, although you could. You're not necessarily going to have that on other teams, have a quarterback converting those third downs, which is then what really is extending drives and time of possession and eventually winning you games. But again, it's the focus here on one person, O'Connell was asked about running the ball. And at the very end, his main point was putting points on the board. That's what we're concerned about, putting points on the board. The other when we talk about McDaniel is talking about time of possession, keeping the ball away from the other quarterback and some sort of mythical cyclical nature of what's going on there where reality points on the board should always be the focus. And I think teams don't often enough work backwards from there as far as what they want to do with their offensive scheme and their coaching. Okay. Before I get into the Aaron Rodgers analysis here, let me quickly talk to you about DraftKings and you know what no football but we got the NBA going on and hoops fans the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA is too good to pass up I'm talking between the legs 360 windmill good I don't think I don't know if I ever described anything as, as good in that matter but new customers can get just one dollar can bet just one dollar on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If the sports book is not available in your state, you can take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes on DFS. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just one dollar on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 20 more over, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific gambling resources. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. And a new sponsor here, All22. Our friends at All22 are unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees have been playing. I was part of a league last year using All22. It uses PFF grades as its main scoring components, and it tests your ability to build a full 53-man roster, offensive line included. If you've ever dreamt of sitting in an NFL front office, if you enjoy the scouting process, you'll want to check out All22. Join the wait list on all-22.com with nothing more than your email. If you join the wait list before the NFL draft, you'll receive a special promo code for your All22 subscription. Waitlist users will even gain access to premium content like inaugural draft guides, in-season strategies, feature release announcements, and more. Be sure to follow at All22 underscore PFF on Twitter. All22, less fantasy, more football. Pretty interesting format, especially for those people who want to jump outside of the offensive skill positions. Okay, let's head up my man, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, if anyone watched the Pat McAfee interview today, I thought it was kind of interesting. I'm he's, he's, he's coming back. Okay. Okay. I've been saying this for a while and I have trouble imagining a different outcome there. There's a lot of positive things he had to say about the relationship with the Packers, although he's always been a little squirrely, but he's just a weird dude. 
he was doing some sort of cleanse where he was, you know, it was firing out of both ends for a few days, it sounds like, with whatever he was doing and cleansing and lubricating all of his different orifices here. Um, that sounded pretty bad. And <laughs> go ahead and look up his, his cleanse here. I forget what it was called, a punch cleanse or something. Pretty, pretty, pretty nasty looking the description on there. But anyway, for, for Rogers here, there was an article that came out on, I guess it was on Monday. I came across my feed at least on Monday about the conservatism for Rogers. And specifically, it was talking about whether his careful play hurt the the Packers. And this was an article from Go Long, which I do not have a subscription to, so I don't want to, I can't put it out here. But Bob McGinn said that Aaron Rodgers, his careful calculating approach has hurt the team in recent postseason games. And the quote here is that for Rodgers, he has played a careful calculating game, understanding that the number of interception plays a disproportionate, nonsensical role in passer rating formula. Batters' interceptions are, well, bad, but there are interceptions that are the cost of doing business for unselfish, competitive, stats-immune quarterbacks battling to make plays and lead comebacks until the bitter end. When a quarterback, especially one with a powerful, usually accurate arm like Rodgers, deliberately minimizes chance to deliver a big play for a fear of interception. Interesting, because this sounds a lot like what nerds have been saying about Rodgers for a while now, and... He focuses specifically on the postseason, but I'm going to look at some numbers that, or I did look at some numbers that go over Rodgers holistically, because I don't think it's just a postseason issue. I mean, if we look at what happened for Rodgers in, even in the regular season in some games, I think the biggest thing that'll jump out at you, one of the bigger numbers that, that jumps out to you is that in 2018, so that last season that he had with, um, with Mike McCarthy, you know, as a starter, he was six, nine, and one as a starter. So well under 500 as a starter, two interceptions the entire season that year. There's just no circumstance under which for a season, you should have nine losses and one tie and only two interceptions. And, you know, this will get turned into a dunked on thing by Rogers fans. Be like, Oh, more interceptions are good, I guess. And it's like, it's, it's exactly how, McGinn described it. Sometimes the cost of doing business, give yourself a chance to win, also increases the chance of a larger loss. It, it, it goes into somewhat like fourth down decisions here where teams are maximizing, maybe Rodgers is maximizing some ways, staying in the game versus getting the highest possible win probability. So is this actually true or not? Well, I looked at a few different things for Rodgers. And I took the win probability data from NFL Faster. For those who don't know, it is a free resource out there which has play-by-play -play data going back to 1999, I want to say. And I looked over the last 10-year period, and I looked at all the play-by-play -play data. I took the win probability from there, but then I took a bunch of other numbers from our PFF data and married those two together and looked at the play-by-play, -play and I said, let's graph the interception rate for Aaron Rodgers, for your average quarterback in the NFL. And then also look, so we could kind of compare those two, like Aaron Rodgers versus average. And then I also want to look at Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady with ideas of them being other quarterbacks who are really, really great quarterbacks who might calibrate their risk-taking a little more optimally in these sort of circumstances. So What's interesting is if you look at interception rate and you and you graph that against win probability, when win probability goes down, 
Rodgers' interception rate does go up. It actually goes up in a similar manner to the other two. Now, it's lower than Mahomes's and Brady's interception rate, no matter when it is, whether it's being in a large lead in the game or being down and out near the end. Um, so that was interesting. Now, it does flatten between about 25% win probability and 0% win probability, the trend line. So it isn't upping probably enough in those very far-fetched situations where you maybe only have a 3 4 5% win probability. But again, 5% win probability still means you win one out of every 20 of those games. It's not completely far-fetched that that would end up happening. So you, there's not a lot of good evidence there, though, I would say, that Rodgers is being too conservative because his interception rate is going up as his win probability, his team's win probability is going down. This is all pre-play win probability. So I'm looking at, you know, before every single play, what's happening there. And another interesting point, which again, pushes back against the idea that maybe Rodgers is playing poorly when his team is down, is if you look at Expected points added per attempt. Now, I'm only looking at attempts, so it takes sacks out of the equation. Rodgers does have a propensity to take sacks late in games. But if you look at the expected points added per attempt, Rodgers does have a pretty big uptick as it gets close to 0% win probability, whereas Patrick Mahomes, it goes down from a peak around maybe about 30% win probability. And Tom Brady, it's very, very much lower than those guys. So again, another piece of evidence to say, you know, Aaron Rodgers actually plays better than these guys in the most far-fetched situations. But then you start to think to yourself, you know, an average of how well you play, that does not translate into giving yourself maximum win probability. In a way, you want to give yourself fatter tails. You want to give yourself these outlier outcomes more, which may lower your average win probability, your average expected points added, but by getting these huge tail outcomes towards the positive side, more often you're actually going to win in those circumstances. So Rogers playing well from an average EPA perspective does not mean that he's giving his team the best chance to win in those circumstances. And if you look at the Packers, the Patriots, and the Chiefs underneath these quarterbacks, how they have played as far as what their actual win rate has been versus win probability, in those circumstances where we start to dip under 50% win probability, Patrick Mahomes has a much, much higher win rate, then Tom Brady's second, and then Aaron Rodgers is third in those circumstances. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is still winning more often than the average quarterback would, but not as well as those other guys, despite the fact that he's putting up good stats. So maybe there is something to this stat hunting. But in order to figure out exactly what it is, what I decided to do, and it worked pretty well, is look at the mix of what types of passes they are doing, depending upon what the win probability is before the pass. And when I talk about the types of passes, there's two different dimensions to this. One is air yards, a dot, pass depth, however you want to frame it. So how deep are they throwing it? That's number one. And I broke it into cohorts of behind the line of scrimmage, between zero and five yards, between five and 10, between 10 and 20, and then greater than 20. So to those cohorts. And then I broke up also directionally because Aaron Rodgers is someone who throws to the sidelines a lot. And believe it or not, well, not believe it or not, but you know the sidelines have lower interception 
rate, much lower than the center of the field. So I broke it up. I grouped together left or right into a sideline category and then the center of the field into its own category. And I looked to see how are these quarterbacks changing their mix of, of which one of these subsets of passing? How are they changing the mix of what they're doing depending upon where the win probability is? So I broke the win probability into quartiles. So between 0 and 25% win probability, 25 and 50, 50 and 75, 75 and 100. So I broke those in and I looked to see how they're mixing. And you do notice that Aaron Rodgers' mix of passing changes very little depending upon whether or not he's in that zero to 25 percent win probability bucket or you know above 50 or above 75 it doesn't change nearly that much as it does for Mahomes or for Brady uh the the prime example I'll give here is I look specifically at the greater than 20 yard passes in the middle of the field and I look specifically at those because they're not a lot of passes. The average passer is around 4% of their attempts go to that part of the field. So, so, so not a huge amount, but they have an outsized effect on risk-taking, interceptions, and your potential benefits there. So the interception rate, the average interception rate when you throw it in the middle of the field, more than 20 yards downfield, is 9% interception rate. And... The average interception rate for an entire season. I mean, if we look at um, if we look at this last this last year, right? If we look at the last year here, again, this is nine percent. If you're throwing it in in the middle of the field here, if we look at the last year, the interception rate, the average interception rate was two point four percent. So it's nine percent in this circumstance when you throw it into that bucket. Huge, huge difference, and. For Aaron Rodgers, now, he is a little bit below average generally on where he when he throws there, but when he's in the uh, winning and winning handily bucket, that is actually the highest bucket he has for when he's throwing those passes. So he, between 75 and 100% win probability, he's throwing it deep down the field more often than he is in every other bucket. It rises slightly to, in that 0 to 25% bucket, but it's still lower there than it is when he's destroying a game. And when he's between 25 and 50%, so that's maybe the game is slipping away from him, he actually has the lowest amount that he's throwing it into that bucket. He's the most conservative then. Whereas if you look at Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, Tom Brady almost has a perfectly optimized formula here where he has the lowest amount to that dangerous spot when they're winning by the most, then it goes up a little bit when they're winning by a little bit, then it goes up a little bit more when they're down a little bit, and then when they're down big, it's at its highest point. And the same thing with Mahomes. Mahomes is basically flat between about 25% win probability and 100. But then lower than 25, it skyrockets. And it's way, way higher than both Brady and Rodgers. So those two guys, Brady and Mahomes, are, are throwing this much more dangerous pass more often where they're probably they're sacrificing – some of their overall efficiency. They're sacrificing the fact that there's going to be some ugly interceptions. They're sacrificing the fact that they're going to make a play which is going to end the game and it'll kind of be on them for ending the game. But they're increasing the upside because if completed, there is no more valuable pass of all these different cohorts. There's no more valuable pass than those passes 20 yards downfield in the center of the field. 
If completed, on average, they give you about 1.2 expected points. Nothing else is close to that. So it's saying if everything goes right, you're giving yourself that better win probability chance of winning. Um, and then the other one that I wanted to, to dig into, the other cohort, which is really interesting about Rodgers versus others, is passes behind the line of scrimmage. Now, Patrick Mahomes relies on those pretty heavily, generally, heavier than anyone else. He's over 20% of the time he's throwing a pass behind the line of scrimmage when they are either when they're winning. So if they have a higher than 50% win probability, but that number steps down from 25 to 50 and then steps way down below average, below the NFL average, which is around 14%, all the way down to about 12%. So it goes from above 20% to down to below 12% when he's in that zero to 25% win, win probability bucket, when he's really, really low. Now, Rogers, it's almost flat the entire time how often he's throwing behind the line of scrimmage. It's about league average when he's winning big. And when he's losing big, it's about league average. He's not changing. He's still throwing those passes. Now, those passes from an EPA perspective are probably pretty valuable when you're losing big because defenses are playing prevent. They're giving you that pass, that check down in the flat. It can be a play where you can make a long play at, off of it, but it's not necessarily, we're talking about a long play in the in the context of, a 12-yard gain, a 15-yard gain, not a 30-yard gain, not a 40-yard gain, not going way, way down the field. So again, Rodgers is maximizing more the expected points than the win probability when the win probability is really the important thing. And these are the least risky passes you can have. They only have about a 0.5% interception rate. But when they're completed, they give you about a tenth of the, the EPA on average than the longer passes down in the middle of the field. So if we bring everything together, and again, I like looking at this stat where you say, what would the EPA, what would the expected points added be if completed? Because how quarterbacks are successful when they are ahead or when they're in a neutral game state, when they're not behind, how they're more successful than other quarterbacks is not necessarily taking on a ton of risk, but, by, but it's by being more efficient with the risk they're taking on. That's how you get there. But when you're down in a game and when you're down big, a great quarterback not only has to be more efficient, but a great quarterback really has to up the risk taking. So you have to do two different things. You have to be more efficient and you have to calibrate your play so that you're taking on a lot more risk to give yourself more upside. So what I calculated this number, which I think is pretty interesting, is saying, I'm going to look at the league average amounts for all of these different passing buckets. I'm going to look at how often these quarterbacks are throwing it in these amounts. I'm going to look at the league average, expected points, when completed, and then say, how do these quarterbacks look? So in other words, if everything goes right for them, the way they are playing, what sort of expected points added will you have in those circumstances? And that's when it becomes very, fairly obvious where Rodgers, the way he mixes up his passing, he's always more conservative than your average quarterback, but he's more efficient with, with that conservative game plan. And, and that's okay when you're winning or when it's a tie game. He's still less, he's still more conservative. If you look at his expected points added per completion, he's still more conservative if everything goes right, he's still more conservative than your average NFL quarterback in those circumstances where he has a very low win probability, zero to 25%. Whereas Rodgers, 
And whereas, I'm sorry, whereas Mahomes and Brady have taken on a ton more risk in those circumstances so that if everything goes right, it gives them that chance to win. But when things go wrong and it falls down and they fall on their face, they're less concerned with that point. They're less concerned with the big negative outcome because they were probably going to lose the game anyway. So I'm going to present all these numbers probably in a little bit better manner than when it comes through in a podcast and write it up in an article. And I think the answer is Aaron Rodgers, really, really great quarterback, plays pretty well when he's down, but he does not adjust his game enough when he's down. And we have to realize that sometimes there are unseen sort of things. You see the interceptions that look bad, but you don't necessarily realize that those interceptions the counterfactual to those interceptions would be a big play to give you a chance to win. And we don't give teams enough credit for doing that. And when we celebrate things like TDINT ratios, you can have a circumstance where someone like Rodgers is being celebrated for having two interceptions in a season where he's losing or tying, you know, 10 out of 16 games. And that just isn't something that is going to be profitable in the long term. Anyway, everyone, hope you enjoyed this first of many off-season episodes. I'm going to see if I can get someone else, a uh, beat reporter, to talk about another team later on this week, but it may not happen. I may be back at you next week, being that this is one of the slowest weeks in the NFL calendar. But I appreciate everyone tuning in and listening. Go ahead and rate and review the pod if you so choose. Otherwise, I'll be talking at you later this week or next week. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.